What is up, ladies and gentle nerds? This is Graham, also known as HamHawks42 on the internet, and we are here with another edition of Overthinking MTG. So we're on the Gatherer website. I'm going to go ahead and scroll down to everyone's favorite button, that random card button, and we are going to see what is it today that I'm going to be talking about for 10 minutes. All right, today we got Temporal Adept, and specifically this one is from 7th edition. Um, okay, cool. So it is a 1-1 wizard for 3, and this is apparently a rare in 7th edition. The uh, the art actually almost makes it look like an uncommon, but it's definitely a rare. All right, it costs 1 generic and 2 blue, and it's a, like I said, 1-1 wizard, and it has the activated ability, pay 3 blue, tap it, return target permanent to its owner's hand. Wow. Okay, so the... The cost on this one is very, very high because you need to pay three mana up front and all you get on the first turn it comes into play for that three mana is a 1-1 wizard. That's it. That's all That's all you get. Um, so there's not a whole lot of return in the early game, plus it's just a 1-1. That is super, super squishy. So that's going to be a problem. Um... However, what you get here is a boomerang that you can use over and over and over again if it goes unchecked. So if your opponents don't have any form of spot removal, and I mean any form of spot removal, because even a shock can actually... I mean, a shock is overkill on this thing. So the fact that it's on a 1-1 body makes it just crazy squishy, and you have to spend... You have to invest six mana in order to actually get this thing to pop off. So it's crazy expensive. It has a really, it's very easy to deal with. Um, however, the effect that it gets, or the, the effect that you get for it is pretty cool. Being able to bounce a permanent. There are a couple of things about that. It's any permanent. This includes lands. You can... I mean, if it wasn't for that, if this had target non-land permanent, it would be unplayable jank and really uh, just quite awful. But as early as turn four, you can start negating your opponent's land drops. That's pretty vicious. And if they're playing something like the Karoo lands, where they play a land that produces two mana, but they have to bounce something back to their hand, if you bounce one of those, you're sending them back like three turns on their on their mana base. That's insane. And then if they want to try to do that again, you have it on the on the board. So you can just bounce the, the, bounce their stuff again. So there's a situation in which this card is vicious. Now, the the thing is, in all of those situations, if you're in a more competitive style, if you're playing a tighter deck, if you're going up against an opponent, um, and you know if the situation is such, you're probably going to get better value using a boomerang, which is an instant that costs two blue that does this effect, where you return any permanent to its owner's hand. That card is great. It's a classic. It's one of the go-tos. Um, actually, I have a number of control decks back in the day that ran boomerang and unsummon, just because you cannot go wrong with those two cards, because there will always be creatures, and if there aren't creatures, there are other permanents. And being able to bounce a land on turn two can really mess with your opponent. Like I said, with, with this, yeah, because... With Temporal Adept, you can get it down on... If you have something like Lightning Greaves, you could potentially get this going on turn 3, but... Mm, no, even then, you're still going to be... You're still going to need to hit turn 4 just because of the sheer amount of mana that you have in here that you need to invest. The other thing is it's color-locked. You know, you have to pay 3 blue 
It's not three generic and tap, or even two generic and one blue and tap. It's three blue. Ugh. It's just so expensive. Yeah, so the effect is cool if it can stick around and if you can keep it alive. Now, the other challenge there, a lot of the time when you're running blue, the way that you protect your stuff is by using counters, you know, counter magic, you know, counter spells, negates, those types of things to stop your opponent from hitting board wipes or those targeted removal spells that can eliminate your threats. However, with the Temporal Adept, it costs a ton of mana to use. So if you want to use this as as early as turn four, you have to pick between that ability or the counter spell. Now, fortunately, this ability on Temporal Adept that allows you to return any permanent, you can do that at instant speed. So what you can do is you can wait till the end of your opponent's turn. And if they did something, then you know you have both options. You can respond however it's appropriate. And then you're giving your opponent an opportunity to make a decision, you know, because they can play a really vicious permanent or they can try to remove the temporal adept. It's their call. Good chance that that vicious permanent is going to go back to their hand, unless it has a crazy, like, end of the battlefield trigger or something like that. But, in uh, you know, in other cases, if you try to hit removal, it's probably going to get countered. So the control player, well, they're in control appropriately enough. That's why it's called that. And this is a control card through and through. That is just exactly what this card is made for. So, yeah, conceptually, it's nice. There are some intricacies. There's some cool uh, lines of play that this offers you once it's in play. However, the the mana investment to get you there, you know, it's just not that great. So, because what you have to do is you have to pay three to drop it down so you can put it down theoretically as early as turn three maybe turn two if you've got um you know some kind of crazy ramp if you're running moxes or something like that um so okay so but you're looking at turn three 90 percent of the time so you can get this thing get this guy down on turn three and then you're going to be tapped out that turn so you're going to be tapped out on turn three and then you're going to pass to your opponent yeah that doesn't that's not a good feeling um Actually, the more I think about it, the more I realize this card is just too expensive to be viable. Now, if it was like a 1-1, one, one, if it was a, like a 0-1 for 1 with that ability, or even even if it cost 2 with that ability, okay, you know, then we might be going somewhere with this. But as it stands, it's just not quite there. So in like a 60 card in like a standard or a modern where you're into like 60 cards, this is way too slow. And the benefit is not good enough because you have to pay six to get it once. And you have to pay nine to get it twice. Meanwhile, boomerang, you can get it for once for two and you're not going to be, you know, your man is not going to be tied up later in the game. So I think the idea is solid. There's something here. Actually, you know what I would love to see? I would love to see this as a zero one, for five. So go with me here. Zero one for five. Except the ability is just tap and return target permanent to its owner's hand. That way you have a huge upfront investment to get it on the field, but once it's there, you can just tap that sucker all day. Because then you can do nonsense shenanigans with uh, cards like Pemenzora or um, Free from the Real that allow you to untap stuff. Also, if you got... Um, what is it? 
dramatic reversal on an Isochron Scepter, then just get out of town. That's going to get out of hand so fast. Because what that does, Isochron Scepter is a card, it's an artifact for two, and when you put it into play, you can take any instant in your hand that costs two or less and imprint it onto Isochron Scepter. And then at any time, you can pay two, tap it, and play that instant. And so there are a lot of really great things you can do with that. And Dramatic Reversal is a blue spell that costs two that says untap all non-land permanents you control. That includes Icecrown Scepter. So if you have mana abilities on, if you have mana rocks down, so if you have artifacts, well, non-land permanents that produce mana, that's infinite mana. And if you have infinite mana and infinite untap abilities, something like this uh, would allow you to return an infinite number of creatures up to their opponent's hand. Okay, like that's not bad. So there's a place for it. And uh, I, you know, I think it would be better if it was a higher upfront cost, but it was, but the repetition wasn't so expensive. Or I feel like the balance is just a little bit off. Having to pay three every single time you use it, just for the the upside of potentially being able to use it again next turn, that's just really, really expensive. Um, I'm sure there was a time when this was great. I know wizard decks have all kinds of weird tricks up their sleeves, and I wouldn't be surprised if this card enables some cool combos. I'd actually, actually, you know what? No, it's probably it probably doesn't enable those combos because you're not going to be bouncing your own stuff with this because it's so expensive. Um, and there are cards like Crystal Shard, which only costs one tap and then bounce something back up to your hand, and it costs three colorless to put it into play. Hmm, that's what this is. This is the predecessor to Crystal Shard. That's what we're looking at here. And uh, this particular one that we're looking at was printed in 7th edition, which came out before Mirrodin. And so that kind of makes sense. It looks like this card was actually originally printed back in Urza's Destiny. That's what we're looking at here. Okay, cool. Yeah, but I mean, so this doesn't feel like a combo enabler. What this feels like is a combo payoff. So if you have an infinite mana combo and some way to untap this thing, then you could theoretically bounce your opponent, um, you know, everything your opponent owns back up to their hand, and potentially all of your opponents. And so that would be a really great way to close out a commander game. But you gotta, there are a lot of bells and whistles and a lot of things you need to line up in order to make that happen. And once you get that much online, and once you have infinite mana, it's kind of silly not to create infinite damage. With And there are dozens and dozens of ways to do that also if you do have infinite mana then the spell sync or the the mana sync you want to put that into if your goal is to just mess with your opponent's board is memnarch because that guy you can he allows you to pay four so one blue three colorless if i'm not mistaken and take control of any artifact on the field and you just you just get you just gain control of it. It's yours for the rest of the game. It doesn't end at the end of turn. It's just yours now. And then you can also play two blue and a colorless. This is also another activated ability, right? Just chilling on Memnark. You can turn any permanent into an artifact. Mm-hmm. You can do that. So for seven, you can get you can turn something into an artifact and take it with anything. And so what you can do is if you have infinite mana and if you can produce infinite blue mana. You can sink it all into Memnarch and take control of every single permanent on the board. That includes lands, that includes everything. Now they're all artifacts, so if somebody has some way to mess with artifacts at a grand scale, they can potentially hit you back, but how are they going to play it because you have all their lands? Yeah, so that kind of thing is redonkulous. And when those kinds of payoffs exist, um, something like this seems kind of 
meh. And on top of that, the ultimate payoff is effectively an overloaded cyclonic rift, which just bounces all your opponent's permanents. Well, in that case, it's only your non-land permanents, so okay. But still, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're in a commander game and somebody combos off, it's usually game over. And, you know, it's one of those where sometimes you can play it out. A lot of the times people just scoop because, you know, and you might walk through like one or two like rounds of what you're doing, just kind of show, hey, this cool thing I built, check it out, right? But, and, you know, and if you're playing up against, if you're playing with people who are cool with that, they'll be like, oh, neat. How does it go here, here, and here? Okay, cool. And then, well, and they, they do that for two reasons. One, they want to appreciate the cool thing that their friend made. You know, because honestly, that's part of the fun, right? Is building your decks and watching them go off. And I love it watching my friend's decks go off. It makes me so happy. Even if I'm on the receiving end. If we're opponents in this game, it doesn't mean that we're opponents in life. I want them to have a good time. That's my philosophy. That's my general commander philosophy. When I see people get pissy about losing commander games, it's like, come on, people. We're sitting there, we're playing a silly card game with like wizards and elves and shit. Come on, just have some fun. We're, we're all having fun here, right? Why can't we just have some fun? Why is winning the point? Anyway, sorry, that was a weird tangent. Um, but, uh, so, when you can do stuff like that, this kind of a payoff doesn't really feel that great. Well, and, and so, when somebody's comboing off, you should revel in it. You should you should absorb what they're doing and, and appreciate it. That's just cool, right? And if you don't, okay, fine. Like, every, everyone... Enjoy the experience. Enjoy your experience with magic, whatever that is. Whether you're Spike, Johnny, Timmy, w- enjoy your game. Make it your game. And if winning is the point, okay, great. Don't play this card. You're not going to win with this. If your goal is to win a game with this, like there, you could build a deck specifically focused on just trying to win with this card. I have a deck where the win condition is Folio of Fancies. You know why I have that deck? Because I want the win condition to be Folio of Fancies. Because that card doesn't win games. Actually, that card almost exclusively loses games. <laughs> and I really wanted an infinite mana situation that allows me to skip my draw step so I can make everybody draw 9,000 cards except me and beat my opponent's by milling them infinitely with folio fancies. It doesn't make sense. It's incredibly dumb, and it involves a really bizarre interaction, but it makes me super, super happy. That's what this reminds me of. Temporal Adept is a card that may have been great once when the meta was very different and the power level was very different. As it stands right now, almost anything that can remove anything from the board can take care of this thing. And so it's just, it's not sticky enough, and it's too expensive for the payoff. So all in all, it's just not quite there. Now, do you, if you have a wizard deck that can do some fun, crazy stuff, all right, go for it. You know, why not? And uh, But all in all, I'm probably not going to be playing this card anytime soon. Although, it, you know, it's probably inexpensive. And it, has a, it does have a big upside, if it can fire. You know, because that is a very powerful ability. It's just fairly priced in this case uh, if anything it's, it's, it might be a little overpriced with the current power level maybe at the time it wasn't um so all that said we haven't even touched on the art um it's a wizard it, it's a wizard looking like a wizard being a super de-duper wizard um yeah the staff that it, that the wizard is holding is actually especially cool and they seem to be they have their uh, their robe is particularly billowing and it's tight in like the um in like the the bicep area, which is kind of interesting. So they have the big 
puffy shoulder, but then kind of a thin sleeve, almost. Except it actually does have a little bit of that traditional, like, Merlin wizard cuff, but it's like a small, very stylish version. So that's kind of cool. So yeah, this is a uh, a very... I don't know, modern look, or, you know, is a much more chic look on the traditional wizard robe. So that's kind of cool. And they're holding a particularly uh, ornate staff that looks like it has a lot of kind of, some kind of focus to it. Like it's channeling energy in kind of a cool way. So it's shaped in kind of this funky crescent with some kind of receptacle on the very top. Actually, it almost looks like... um, it, it, I'm trying to think of a good. It it looks like a very large setting that you would put a gemstone in, like on a like on a ring, um, like yeah, like a ring or necklace, a piece of jewelry. If you were to mount a gemstone, it looks like one of those. So it's kind of this um, very ornate um, setting, very ornate kind of almost cup looking structure, and a bunch of energy is clearly flowing into it, as though this wizard is capturing a bunch of energy in the tip of his staff. Um, so, you know, that's pretty cool. Like, this wizard clearly knows what he's doing, and he's doing it well. I would say he's an adept. Also, I want to point out, the 7th edition, um, this was back in the, in the days of the White Border. I miss the White Border. I believe I've spoken about the White Border before. And now that I look at it, I realize, yeah, I see why people don't like the White Border. And on, on this particular card, it doesn't look great. But at the same time, I think it's kind of fun. Also, I... I didn't really appreciate how back in the day, so there's the white border on the very outside of the card, but there's also the card frame, which is the border that surrounds the art. Um, this is where the name, the creature type, the mana cost, all those are printed on it. It's kind of that, that colored border um, that's usually unique to the to the card type. That's gone through a lot of iterations over the years. This particular one is the old 7th edition uh, card frame. So it is, it this predates the current modern card frame that we know and love. And I didn't realize just how detailed the marbling effect was on the blue card frame. I never appreciated that. There's actually, because the card frame is a light blue, similar to the blue that we know and love on the cards that we see today, but there are these veins of purple in it that there's clearly this marbled effect to it that I gotta say is actually really slick now that I'm looking at it. And that's just kind of in the, well, what is the equivalent of the white space in the card? You know, that doesn't impact the rules. It's not tied to anything. Presumably the rare cards and the common cards, it all looks the same. Actually, I might dig up some of my older cards and take a look. Um, yeah, actually, I've got a I've got a monkey here from Portal. It has an, an older frame. It doesn't, it looks a little bit different, but it's, it's green as well. But it definitely has... Um, it has a texture to it. So for those of you on the video feed on YouTube, you can see that. Um, yeah, look at the monkey. So try to keep it in focus. Anyway, so yeah, the, the frames are interesting, and it's definitely thematic, you know, because this particular green frame, it looks like foliage. It, look, it has kind of a vibe of tree leaves and whatnot. Meanwhile, the blue has this marbled effect that is very much like flowing water. So that fits. It makes sense. All right, guys. Oh, and there is... Um, there is flavor text. Here we are 20 minutes in. I haven't even looked at the freaking flavor text. Of course she's at the head of her class. Oh, I apologize for using the wrong pronoun earlier. Of course she's at the head of her class. All of her classmates have disappeared. And that's attributed to Talarian Renegade. Ah, uh, I see. 
So this particular wizard has a... Uh... Wow. All right. Oh, Temporal Adept. So this particular wizard has uh, forced all of the... All of their um, compatriots, all of their competitors in class, uh, presumably back in time, or have made you know made them vanish into uh, some kind of temporal vortex. Uh, yeah, so you don't mess with this particular wizard apparently, unless you're a shock. All right, guys, thanks so much for hanging out. This has been delightful. I uh, I'm Graham, also known as Hamhawks42 on the internet. Twitch.tv slash hamhawks42. I stream over there every morning, every weekday morning, I should say, 5.30 to 6.30 Eastern Time. Come check it out. We have a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I will check you next time. Later.